Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. It could happen here. It's it's the show where we hate McDonald's. <laughs> I'm, I'm your host, Bia Wong, a professional McDonald's hater. And uh, with me to talk about hating McDonald's is Mira, who's a freelance journalist and union organizer. Uh, Mira, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, okay. So, the specific, specific there, there are lots of the hating McDonald's is like an ancient anarchist tradition. Um, I think I, I'm actually not sure how well it is known today, but I, I'm about I'm about eighty percent sure that the, the the tradition of breaking Starbucks windows was actually originally like a it was actually originally a thing about breaking, uh, like it, it came from like a bunch of campaigns. I think in. Definitely in France, I think also in Mexico, that like anytime a Starbucks, uh, Starbucks, Jesus Christ, anytime a McDonald's would open up, everyone would immediately start breaking the windows. That's the only proper way to handle a McDonald's, in yeah. my formerly <laughs> professional opinion. <laughs> but the, 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 the reason we're talking about McDonald's is that, yeah, you tried to organize a McDonald's union, which is, I guess, the other thing you could do with a McDonald's other than lighting <laughs> it on fire, which is <laughs> maybe too you kind to it. You could. Oh, I guess I guess, I guess there are those people in France who took it over and turned it into like a food co-op or something. But a third thing you can do with it. <laughs> discovered a third a third <laughs> thing to do with the McDonald's is hit the towers. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about. I guess what you know. I, okay, I, I wanted to use yeah. So you you've written a a very good piece about this in Strange Matters. Uh, called by Mick Union that is really good. And I wanted to talk about sort of the piece, the the sort of nitty gritty aspect of like what it's like to organize a union 
and also just about McDonald's because <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> good Lord. Oh no. <laughs> I have so much to talk about, so more than happy to. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, okay. I think, I think we should start with just the sort of McDonald's-ness of it all. I wanted to start with just talking a bit about what it's actually like to work at a McDonald's because I, well, okay. A, I feel like it's not actually a universal experience anymore for like people to have worked at a fast food restaurant. And B, I think people who, it's, it's, it's a thing you blot out of your collective memory very quickly because it sucked. But yeah. 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 So, what is like? okay, so what, what, what is it actually like when you, you show up to your shift? So McDonald's was my first job and it was a hell of an introduction. Yeah. <laughs> the moment you would come in, you would be most days bombarded with constant orders on screen because they have these little screens both in the up front and back grill areas that like showed all the orders they had. And like a good 60-70% of the time I came in people would just be swamped with orders. They'd be running around being like, oh, thank God you're here. We need someone to get on right now. And it's like, you don't even get a moment to breathe. Like, as you're standing there waiting to clock in on their punch-in machine, you're just like, oh, dear God, I'm going to have a fucking terrible time. (laughs) And as you're running around, you know, cooking everything after you clock in, you're getting screamed at by your bosses right by you because they're like, oh, no, a customer complained because they're, was too many pickles on their sandwich. <laughs> and then you'll hear someone yelling from the drive through window on top of that. And then you might have people at the front counter. This was before COVID, so McDonald's still had front counters when people would come in. I don't know if every McDonald's does, but everyone I've been to since has just closed down internally. <laughs> and I envy that. <laughs> but you would have people yelling from there. And if you were one of the unfortunate souls who ended up working directly facing the customers and not just cooking, you would be the one getting screamed at by all parties involved. I later worked at a Wendy's where I got a a taste of that and I walked out three days into work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Stuff sucks. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I, I I think like one of the things that I think like compounds this is, you know, okay, I will, I will, I will, I will do a theory, which is that I, I think people have a really weird understanding of what it means to have a job on, on a sort of theoretical level that dates back to a, a, a genuinely very weird period in the the twentieth century where people actually had like stable hours, yeah. and that's just not how any of this works, right? Like you you know you like there, there there is no actual stable amount of hours you just get you get some number of hours like a week that you're assigned to but then you know but this this leads to a thing that, that we've oh god like like literally every single field we've talked about unionizing has this problem which is just understaffing because yeah. why the fuck would you have enough people to do a job when you could have less than enough people to do a job and pay them less <laughs> that that was my experience at mcdonald's and fast food in general you would get such inconsistent numbers of hours that you wouldn't know how much money you'd be making in the month. Because for all you know, this month you could be working, you know, every regular day, every business day of the week. You could be working only weekends. Or you could be like I was after the union got busted. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Uh, 
working three hours on Sundays in the mornings, and that's it, if they really wanted to. And there's nothing that outside of a union you can do to prevent them from, and outside of, you know, niche legal areas where you can maybe push back, you, you can't really do much if they decide just not to staff you. And there was people working there who they had like full-blown kids, families relying on them in that job. They weren't making much. Pennsylvania minimum wage was seven twenty-five, and you know they were paying us that. Yeah. And so, if the, what little they could get, they would maybe get like at best a hundred bucks a week with their hours, unless they were able to get into like a managerial position, where, where it's the only one where you'd be kind of guaranteed hours in the sense that they desperately need you so they'll throw you on whatever beyond that it's you also don't know the days you're gonna work too yeah yeah that's also the thing i was gonna ask is like what like how how much time do you have between finding out you're gonna be on a shift and then like being on the shift you could have anywhere from several days notice to under 12 hours notice and there is no way to predict what's going to happen the next week because it all depends on when you're going to get staffed. There are points um, I found out day of when I was going to be working. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like this, I mean, this is the thing that like is becoming this is the way that labor used to work in like the 1800s. And then, you know, this is sort of like phased out because it, 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 it turns out this is actually a stunningly inefficient way to actually like <laughs> like run a business. But, you know, we've re- we've reached the, the, the thing that happened at the end of history is it's not the history ended. It's that like capital needing to be efficient ended. And now they just like yeah. do this shit and it's like, well, OK, so it doesn't matter if this is like a terribly inefficient way to run things. It's you just. Like it's 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 a mechanism designed to just like absolutely destroy like the the sort of psyches and lives of the people who are doing the thing. Yeah, that is completely accurate. They do not give a rat's ass about anyone working there for a second. Everyone working there is completely expendable, even if they're a manager. There's been points people have worked there for like three, four months and got promoted to a manager. There's everyone is expendable and they they make sure you know that, too, and how they treat you. You're not treated with any dignity, with any respect. You're just completely thrown around at their whims and the whims of upper management, you know, the the regional managers and the like. And it's. It's awful because how they get away with that model is they know there's always going to be some people who are desperate to work at a McDonald's either because they're young and need to get a first job or they're down on their luck and need to get something to pay the bills. I've even hitting hard times trying to reapply at McDonald's since working there. Because I needed to pay the bill. I was in that exact position again and fairly recently. And so it's it's not a, f- a fun place to be in, to yeah. put it mildly. Yeah. 
of course they didn't let me work there again because uh I'm, I, I believe I'm banned from ever working at a McDonald's again. <laughs> yeah, that's a that that's another thing that I think is not that well understood. But like lots of companies just have basically not even ba- like there are there are people that I know who are blacklisted like from shit they did during Occupy. <laughs> like people. Like yeah, like like they're, they're, these these things. These things suck. And if you like, you know, this is, I guess, one of the sort of issues of doing any kind of organizing is that like if you lose like stuff can go like very badly for you which sucks but also simultaneously if you don't organize things will go very badly for you so it's you know it's a a double-edged sword yeah yeah i guess there's one other thing i wanted to ask which i don't know if you know do you do you know if you're if you're uh if your mcdonald's was a franchise if it was like actually owned by the company so yes, it was a franchise. It wasn't owned by like the official company in, in any major sense. Um, I actually met the franchise owner during the course of the union, which was a fun time when we were in the process of getting busted. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do do you want to explain what what a franchise is, and I guess like how that sort of model works? Yeah. So most McDonald's out there are franchises, which basically means McDonald's will kind of let independent people buy out their stores and own and manage them in a certain region for a portion of the profits. Uh, In the Scranton area, which was where I did the union, they were all owned by one single family who was ultra rich in part because of the McDonald's and in part because of family inheritances. And these folk, they would be them kind of be treated as like the head honchos, the same way that CEOs get talked about at most companies. They weren't the CEOs, of course, but like as far as in terms of managing Green Scranton area, McDonald's went, they were the main ones in charge. Now, of course, McDonald's corporate always had the final say over everything, but they manage tens of thousands of restaurants across the world, so they don't really get involved in any of the nitty-gritty, which is why they kind of let people own these franchises. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. It's like they, they've they've they they they've managed to somehow combine like the worst aspects of working for a major corporation with the worst aspects of working for like a small business tyrant, which yep. is interesting too because it's like I don't know because this is like one of the weird things about McDonald's, right? Because like McDonald's McDonald's corporate doesn't make money from hamburgers. They're basically a real estate company that like sells franchises to people. Yeah. But but simultaneously, but that means that like. They can do things like they can force their franchises to do things that are like unprofitable because it doesn't matter to them. Like there's they're still getting paid like they're still getting paid their like licensing, like franchising fees or whatever, like no matter what sort of like shit is happening there. Yeah. And that's I don't know. I it, 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 it strikes me as like a really interesting it strikes me as like the exact arrangement that's like the most likely to create a fascist, <laughs> which is like because like like you, you know you you have a group of people like and I I think I think there's a good argument this this is what like quote unquote economic anxiety is is you have mm-hmm. like a you have you have a sort of middle level of 
like this, you know, the middle level of person who is a capitalist, but is also getting squeezed from the top down, like by a, by larger corporations and then also is facing bottom up pressure from workers. And so their solution to this is just like <laughs> ruthlessly like, you know, just just like ruthlessly do a fascism against like everyone who's working for them. Yeah, you scratch a liberal and a fascist bleeds. Yeah, and it's <laughs> all more true than McDonald's and fast food, really, than anywhere. <laughs> yeah, the, the McFascists reign supreme. Uh, so, uh, speaking of McFascists, uh, <laughs> the products and services. These are two. These are two distinct sentences. They are not related. Uh, FCC, please. Actually, no. Fuck you. The FCC doesn't. Re- well. No, no, the, the FCC, the FCC does not regulate us. I think we're actually regulated by the FTC. So fuck the FCC. Uh, that's why I can swear on this podcast, because they don't regulate us. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
and we're back. Okay, so having having returned to more McFascism, yeah. Okay, so I, I guess we we should start talking about how the union organizing started and how. I guess <laughs> the, the the sort of immediate mistake that y'all made attempting to get this to uh, get this off the ground. Yeah. So it started with me. I was the first one there to bring up the concept of a union because then I was like only 17. I was new to anarchism still. And so I was young, green, and eager to get shit done. I still am all the above. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhat older. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But... I had a few contacts to local IWW people through just the very, very faint activist networks that were up there. And by faint, I mean a total of like five people. (laughs) So I got in contact with the IWW guy. Uh, I believe I used the name Mark. Yes, I used the name Mark in the article. To protect his anonymity so i'll just keep consistency uh and mark was the one who convinced me to take more major steps he was the one who i talked to and got consultation about it and he was the one who gave all that initial guidance and there was a few friends of mine i had there uh there also not really anarchists. The, most of them were just like your social dems, but they were they were eager to get something done and help out. So you know, can't complain there. And it was like a small core group of us who all wanted to get involved and get this out and done. And we had never done anything like this before. Uh, Northeast Pennsylvania does have a strong history of unions there, but we were not part of that history initially and so it ended up going south unfortunately pretty uh it went well at first but i think some of the main issues we had in hindsight doing things especially now having more experience union organizing under my belt. Um, In hindsight, we rushed things way too much. We were trying to get everyone on board. We didn't do sufficient one-on-one conversations with people. We didn't do sufficient um, intel gathering, and we didn't we relied too much on our technical tools and left too much incriminating evidence that we trusted too many people with. We didn't really have a strong way of going about it that would have been better for what we were doing. Yeah, and, and I guess that this comes to one of the, I think of the main things that you're talking about here, and I think is one of the main things about you know union organizing that like like pretty much no matter who you talk to, right politically, the 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 things that are important to get a union to work are kind of similar, which is that 
Yeah, like it's usually a very slow process. It's a process of building relationships and it's a process of figuring out who in your work, well, who in your workplace people sort of trust and respect and like make friends with and figuring out how to sort of, how to get them involved and how to get, I don't know, how, how, unions are not just sort of like abstract things. Like they're, 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 they're built of actual like social relationships that you have with another person. And another and other groups and relate the relationships that they have with other people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask about how how okay when 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 you were sort of starting to do this, right? How how were you sort of identifying the people you needed to talk to, and what kinds of things were you doing to try to get them involved and try to like map out how the workplace functioned? So. The first people I identified were people that I thought I could trust. And the core group of people I had were folk that in regards to the union, I, in hindsight, was able to trust. We all agreed on the same issues and we all had kind of a similar, more gung-ho attitude. I think me definitely the most out of everyone. Um, we fell into a pitfall where I was kind of pushing the union by myself for a bit, which is definitely easy to fall into. Yeah. But we, in terms of identifying the workplace leaders, the natural leaders found there, we mostly relied on conversations with Mark to do that. We talked with him about who worked there. We gave a a brief list of everyone who worked there, and we kind of just pinpointed them, the specific people we saw as leaders, and left at that. And I mean, as far as basic charting goes, it wasn't terrible. But there is definitely a lot to be desired, and it could have been far more fleshed out. What What do you think that would have looked like, or you know, what does that look like in sort of like other campaigns that you've run that were like the first one you ever tried to do at seventeen? So charting as I would do it now, it should be done from the start before even approaching the first person, um, unless you extremely trust the person, like you are just bonded for life you know you can't go without them unless you have like really deep trust with the person initially you shouldn't approach anyone about the union going into it you should start off with um if you can reaching out to an iww rep but if you can't make a detailed chart of who's in your workplace what positions they're at what team they're on like in terms of if they're on one person's managed area or another person's managed area um you should should figure out who they're close to who they listen to um relevant demographic information because you want your unions to be intersectional and you want to be able to figure out above all else whether or not you've had a away from work one-on-one with them and whether or not you've had any talks with them prior about unions and where they might stand on unions. You want to document all that in, it doesn't have to be the most detail, you can just do a spreadsheet with it, but it can definitely be a lot to, to document. And it's it's no joke. It's not something yeah. that should be rushed. It's not fun. I, you know, there's there's nothing really that's a blast about <laughs> trying to sit there and be like, ah, yes, let me fill out paperwork about my workplace employees. But it will 
come back and save you so many times and give help you formulate strategies for going forward. And we we rushed things and talked did things like talking to people on the workplace floor and just said, hey, do you want to do a union? Yeah. And called that a day and said that was a one-on-one. And it it wasn't. Yeah. Sh- should we should we explain what a one-on-one like is supposed to be? Yeah. So a one-on-one is it doesn't necessarily have to be on one-on-one, but it should be between at least a union organizer and another person. It could be potentially be another more seasoned organizer helping the a more novice one along with during the one-on-one. That could be a thing. But ideally, they are just one or two organizers talking to one workplace employee about initially anyway just a non-committal discussion on where what their issues are in the workplace what grievances they might have and what their current stances on workplace organizing yeah okay another thing i wanted to sort of get into is the role of like having having a way to talk to people outside of work and having just sort of a collaborative space for people to talk about. And I, and I think this is something that like, I don't know. I, I think this, this, you know, this is one of the big things I think that, that this is one of the big things that's changed in the past, you know, maybe like decade and a half or so uh, is that how, like the, the, the actual space in which people talk about a union like tends not to be a physical space anymore. It, it it tends to be sort of either like a signal chat or like a Facebook chat, or like a, I guess WhatsApp technically is owned by Facebook, but yeah. And so I want, yeah, I want to talk a bit about that and also I guess get into the sort of security problems that you can have with this because yeah. Yeah. There's, so that's what we did. We had a group chat on Facebook messenger to talk to everyone about the union and everything like that. And there's a lot of pros to having a centralized group chat. Don't get me wrong. It makes an easy way to communicate when you're trying to take actions to other people. It can be helpful to do any last minute coordination needed. It can be useful to make sure everyone's on the same page. But there's also major drawbacks to it. One, as you mentioned, there's big privacy concerns and we ran into that during the campaign if with anything organizing you're only as secure as your weakest link and if you have people you do not completely 100 percent trust in your group chat someone could leak everything either wittingly or unwittingly in our case it was wittingly but you very well could have someone who isn't being careful and might show the group chat to someone else who they shouldn't on accident. And unless everyone's on the same page about best security practices, you're not going to get very far with having that. And for another, um, doing any form of organizing over text in a major capacity is really hard. Yeah. There's so many issues with like making sure people are understanding their tone, under communicating properly, and just meeting each other on the same level that you really can't do over text like you can do in person. If 
a text medium should, in my view, only be there to facilitate interactions that are later done at best in person. But if not, they can be done through like video calls. Yeah. And like as much as Zoom can be really annoying, like it is way more productive than trying to do things through text. Like yeah. just like having just like just like having a weekly Zoom meeting, you know, like like there, there's there's a lot of like cases where you like, you know, you literally physically can't like be in the same place. And, yeah. you know, and if, if, that's, if that's the thing you're dealing with, like, yeah, doing video calls and stuff like that makes it way, way easier. For sure. It, it is a way better medium to do anything union related with and it's also much easier to bond with people over video chat too and that's a huge part of the union is connecting with your other your fellow workers and meeting each other on that same level and bonding over your shared interests over your shared what you desire from a union what you desire from your workplace it you can't really do that easily anyway over text. I'm sure someone somewhere has done it, but it's not recommended for, for yeah. me anyway. Okay. Unfortunately, we need to do another thing that's not text, which is ads. You can tell by we're doing great on the ad pivots here. It's fine. I was I was watching uh, uh what's his name? Uh the guy the the, the right wing shithead guy who like had a thing with Samantha B for a little bit. Glenn Beck, that's the one. I was watching Glenn Beck, and I was like, "Oh no, this guy, this guy's, this guy's ad pivot was just racism." So you oh, know, no. look, we could do, <laughs> we can, we, we, we it, it could happen here. Our, our our second slogan: better ad pivots than Glenn Beck. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And we are back, hopefully. I don't know. Maybe we'll get extremely unlucky and everything will be broken and this will immediately cut to a third ad. But assuming that it doesn't, um, I, I wanted to talk a bit also about sort of the, the the kinds of things that are necessary to get people to believe that a union can work. Because that's, you know... It, like or, or or organization isn't just sort of a purely like it isn't just sort of a purely mechanical thing. It's also about morale, you know. As, as like as as much as it's about social relations, it's about sort of morale and about people believing in the thing. So I wanted to ask, yeah, I guess talk a little bit about what what that process is sort of like and what can happen to it. Yeah, so that's something an issue we ran into in the McUnion fairly early on was keeping people motivated for the union and getting people wanting to be involved because one of the most common things you'll hear when trying to organize a union is people like oh i can't afford to lose this job i have a family to feed i have bills to pay you'll see people saying they don't want to risk their careers if you're in a more uh like professional environment, you'll see people just not wanting to take the risks that could jeopardize them. And it's important when you're kind of trying to address those concerns to meet them where they're at. You're not going to, you can't make those concerns go away because they're real. When you're organizing a union, there is a risk you could get fired and get punished for it. It happened to me. It's it comes with the territory, but if you do things safely and you do things right, it's a much safer option than not doing anything. And that's the main thing you kind of want to talk to people about is detailing their grievances and talking about how nothing's going to change without a union. You can't butter up to your bosses and expect them to suddenly turn around on you. The most they'll do is play pretend for a little bit until things go right back to normal. And you kind of want to talk to people about also why it's more beneficial to them to just stick with the union because their strength is in numbers. And that's something that a lot of regular folk can kind of lose is that they're not going to be in it alone. When someone's viewing getting involved, a lot of the time they're thinking, oh, if I get involved, I'm gonna get fired. They're not thinking about the strength in numbers. Sure, if you, just you yourself are the only one pushing for change in a workplace, yeah, there's a decent chance you'll get fired. But if you have a whole crew of 10 people, all who are essential in running the operations pushing for change, suddenly you're gonna see things shifting a much different way. And so, building that solidarity among people is important and i think is the 
I, I don't want to say the absolute best way because there isn't an absolute best way to yeah. handle those concerns, but it's definitely a way that can be effective if done right. Yeah, and I, I guess okay. <laughs> um, I, I guess I guess we should go into uh, how it sort of came apart. Yeah, because unfortunately. You know, and this I think is the thing that is depressing but true, which is that a lot of union like t- statistic. Well, actually, I I don't have the numbers, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna actually say that. But a lot of union campaigns don't work, and you know, sometimes it's because like something bad happens. Sometimes because it's just you know stuff happens out of your control. Sometimes it's I don't know, like a pandemic starts. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, we should talk about what happened here and how do you sort of avoid that because it sucks. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that can be a downfall in a union. In the case of McDonald's, our main downfall, there was a lot of you know little things we did wrong that didn't help at all. That definitely just made matters worse in the end. But... The straw that broke the camel's back was not being careful with who we trusted. And Dan, as I referred to in the article, he was the one that caused the penultimate destruction of it. COVID contributed heavily, but if it, I feel like if it weren't for Dan, the union could have had still a fighting chance in spite of COVID. Now, if it weren't for COVID, I think the union also could have stuck around. But the mixture of external factors and internal did the downfall, but in terms of things we could have actively prevented, Dan was the main thing that we could have done approached way differently. We could have approached handling new people in a much better light. We should have had a centralized group being the ones with all the communications to everything. And let people prove their trust to the union over time by doing tasks for it and just by building relationships with people and fostering stuff that's already there. Because Dan was two-faced. We all thought he was our friend, which is why we thought we could trust him. But he was in it just to try and get some benefits for him, which is why he snitched. He thought maybe he would get you know some type of promotion or something he didn't which side note it doesn't help you to snitch on your union if anyone out there is thinking of doing it you're just going to screw yourself and everyone else over and nobody likes to snitch yeah (laughs) (laughs) but we should have been a lot more cautious with how we approached people and shouldn't have just been doing things for for the sake of doing them like we shouldn't have been approaching people inside the workplace we shouldn't have been inviting anyone and everyone to all our confidential group chats we should have been cautious of who we were around and what we were saying around people and how we were going about it that's the core of it i mean is recklessness yeah, and I mean, I think like you know, ob- obviously, it is not good if the exi- like if if the existence of your union, a bunch of your stuff gets leaked. Like, this is not necessarily fatal 
Like I've, I've been involved in campaigns where like that's happened and we won anyways, but it can definitely be is like, you know, especially like, especially early on in the process and especially like the more precarious stuff is, uh, it, yeah, it's not great. Um, I can get yeah. pretty bad pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I guess the thing that I wanted to sort of ask about was like, okay, so historically up until the last, I mean, I think was 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 Burgerville the first like modern fast food union? I think it might have been. It was either Burgerville or Jimmy John. Yeah, it was one of the two. It, up up until like really the last like like I think like post like 2015-2016 fast food has been really really difficult to organize and a lot of a lot of unions either just didn't try or did these kind of like weird PR stunt campaigns that were, you know, like fight 15 attached things where it's like, well, we're not actually really trying to get a union. We're trying to like get PR stuff for fight 15. But this is, I, th- I don't know. This is the thing I think is interesting about the IDW about, about the, I the, uh, this is the thing that's interesting about the industrial workers of the world specifically is that they've actually like gone in and seriously attempted to do it. And they sort of, finally broke through at a couple of places. And, you know, this this McDonald's campaign didn't work. But what was kind of interesting to me about it is, like, I don't know, like, how kind of... I don't know if normal is the right word of a campaign it was, but it, it, it looks a lot like... I don't know. It, 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 like it, it looks a lot like campaigns that I've been involved in that were, like, not in the fast food industry. And I, I guess I was wondering a bit about, like... To, to, to what extent were the sort of tactics shaped by like the very specific weird conditions of fast food and to what extent it was just sort of like the stuff you'd use in any workplace? So a lot of our base model was just stuff you'd use in any workplace because at the time we were doing this, I think the only fast food unions that were around were like Jimmy John's and Burgerville. I think those were the only two that had any publicity as this was before all the like major Starbucks campaigns. Yeah, that's all pretty yeah. recent. Yeah. And so we didn't have much of a playbook for how to approach things in a fast food environment specifically. A lot of what we were actually emulated the model on was factory environments and things like that because there is somewhat of a similarity um of having worked in both between fast food and factories with factories and both fast food you have a kind of assembly line model you know crank out work crank out work crank out work get things out at at a rapid pace and stick to your job maybe do a little bit of cleanup now and then but you stick to what you're doing and you're kind of isolated from other stations a bit you have some overlap, but only insofar as your job will allow, but you might be able to talk to each other and you share break areas. That kind of structure informed how we approached it by us. What we tried to do was talk to people we didn't have external contacts with in areas that were away from cameras, in areas that were away from other people who might be able to hear. Um but there is better ways of doing it and 
I think other campaigns benefited out there, likely benefited from having more seasoned organizers at the core of it, because that's also, at least for me and my experience with it, something that didn't help us was having someone who with no real experience doing something at the forefront of that. I'm not to say that someone with no experience can't do amazing things. There, there's countless examples of unions that were ran by people with no experience at all, who just jumped right into it and did amazing jobs. But it's important to get a diversity of people with different walks of life at the core of it, people with different perspectives, just so many different people involved at the core as, as a kind of central organizing committee can do you wonders with a union. Because we had just a few young left-leaning people, a few young left-leaning white people most of which were male presenting. Um, I wasn't out as trans there. So I was presenting as masculine. The other people I was with, they were all cis men, um, with one exception, with two exceptions, sorry. My memory's a little <laughs> on the fritz. But we, we needed more people with different perspectives in there. We needed more, and there was plenty to be found in the workplace. But we just, we neglected to include them in the core organizing committee. And I think that's something that could really benefit unions and probably is a major strength of a lot of the successful ones is having just a diverse main primary group of central organizers. I don't want to say central organizers, more like core organizers, because the solidarity union model isn't like hierarchical but just a central group of people involved that seek to do the main light work. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and this, this has been, I think like one of the things that made the, like the Starbucks campaigns work was like, they, well, with, with Starbucks campaign specifically, it was a lot of like, find the queerest person in the workplace and start talking to them. But having the core group of people working on things, being as diverse as possible is good both in like an immediate practical sense and in a sort of like long term strategic sense. And the like faster that happens, the better. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you have anything else that you th- from this that you think people should know about? I would say if you can get external help from a union, if you've never done it before, and even if you have, having someone to bounce ideas off of can only yeah. be wonders. There's a lot of folk with the IWW that are more than willing to offer a helping hand to people trying to get started on a union campaign. All you got to do is reach out and ask. And I'm sure there will be someone in your local who's willing to help. But if even if there's not, you can probably get someone to help you more remotely too. And even just a little bit of guidance can go a long way. Yeah. Union, good. McDonald's, bad. Uh, be careful while you're organizing and... Yeah, be strategic and smart about it. Well, okay, do you want people to find you first? And if so, where? Uh, yeah, I can be found over, unfortunately for now, on Twitter, at Myrozine. <laughs> also on Mastodon, much more preferably. Um, and those are the main places I'm at. Um, if you want to reach me too, I my email is found on my Twitter and Mastodon, myrelosine at gmail.com. 
it's the best way to get a hold of me. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link to the Strange Matter article uh, in the in the description, so you can read that too because it's great. Um, yeah, Murad, uh, thank you so much for joining. But I, I was gonna say us, but I guess it, for, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, yeah, it was it was great talking to you. It was you'd fuck McDonald's. <laughs> that place sucks thank ass. You. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was really yeah. great being on here. Been a huge fan of this podcast for a while, so I was like, when. when when I first heard about potentially being on here, I was stoked. And also, yeah, fuck McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I guess, yeah, the, this has been the podcast that you're listening to. Uh, you can find us at Happen Here Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us, uh, the rest of the stuff that people do at Cool Zone Media. I guess, I guess I actually, I have not plugged the new show that's been happening. There'll be a couple of episodes out by the time we do this, but uh, Cool Zone has done a show with Jake Hanrahan called sad oligarchs that's about the russian oligarchs who've been mysteriously dying uh, over the past like since the start of the war in ukraine uh yeah uh, probably only getting more relevant as whatever fucking bullshit is happening there right now plays out i don't know but by the time this goes up you'll probably have a better idea of what happened or didn't happen but yeah go listen to that um yeah and go start a union in your workplace or alternately light 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 something on fire legally not the place something campfires s'mores we can make those we have the technology union s'mores (laughs) best kind it could happen here is a production of cool zone media for more podcasts from cool zone media visit our website coolzonemedia.com or check us out on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts you can find sources for it could happen here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com sources thanks for listening do you dream of a healthier life but education feels out of reach trinity school of natural health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks. Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.